HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit. Now streaming from HRN, this is The Feed Feed. I'm Jay Cohen, Editorial Director of The Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. Occasionally joined by our co-founders, Julie and Dan Resnick, we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm. So we often say that we're, as Feed Feed, answering this sort of age-old question, which is, what do we eat for fill-in-the-blank, breakfast, lunch, dinner? Our approach to doing so involves lifting up voices from culinary content creators all over the world, no matter how big or small their following is. This podcast takes the democratization of food media one step further by giving a behind-the-scenes look of the Epicurean magazines, websites, videos, and accounts you digest every day. We'll discuss everything from breaking into the industry, navigating social media. That's been my bigger social media thing is like, I think like I just get bored very quickly. And even when things are working really well, I'm like, everyone's doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. Building and growing a community. People are like, why is it five E's? And I'm like, I don't know. When you say eats, how many E's does that feel like it sounds like? And that's why. No real good re- rhyme or reason to any of it, but that's also kind of been our style this whole time and producing content that resonates with young and old. You know, if someone doesn't like my writing or the photographs of my book or the design, that's subjective. But if I see that a recipe didn't work, that I really failed someone. So whether you want to know what goes into food styling a magazine cover, the process of getting a cookbook deal, understanding what the hell TikTok is, or grasping how a recipe can go viral. I mean, I guess the thing about going viral, too, is that um, then it becomes it's out there and and people start claiming it as their own. And that's happened a few times recently with that tart, which is sort of depressing. Mm, but... Drag them. <laughs> Name names. I'm not naming no. any names, but you know who you are. <laughs> we'll be covering it all. This is the Feed Feed Podcast. Subscribe to the Feed Feed wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Natalie Johnson. We'll talk to Natalie about wine, opening a restaurant, Anton's, and more. We'll taste a red wine from Sicily for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. All right, Natalie Johnson grew up around food and drink with her family. Her dad further exposed her with a trip to Italy when she was 15. Natalie moved to New York City in 2010 and cut her teeth on some downtown restaurants, cementing her love for wine. She has worked with Jack Mason at Marta, Bobby Stuckey at Frasca, and Dan Kluger at Loring Place. Natalie recently left Loring Place to become GM and beverage manager for Antoine's in New York City with star chef Nick Anderer and looming in the background, the Franks. Welcome to the Grape Nation. Thank you. Natalie. So excited to be here. Um, As the intro implied, you've been around (laughs) Um, and you ain't old. So there's a lot going on. not in a short period of time, but through the years. So I want everyone to sort of get a context of your journey in life and wine. Um, when did the wine thing start as far as career? Um, the wine thing for me started a little bit later than I feel a lot of young sommeliers today um, got the bug very early you know, kind of in college or high school even. Sometimes you hear these stories like Jack Mason. Um, But for me, I've worked in restaurants since I was 16 in high school. Um, I always had to have a job uh, during, you know, school breaks. And I got the restaurant bug is what really bit me. So um, in college, I decided I wanted to be a chef and started cooking in restaurants in Boulder, in Denver, Um, and then moved to New York to cook. Um, Did you ever do cooking schools or anything, or just learn in the kitchen? I just learned, yeah, learned on the job. I I did visit Hyde Park uh, one Thanksgiving before I was, uh, before I graduated from university, just to see if that would be the next step for me, but um, I I didn't feel it was the right move. I just wanted to continue. Why? Too intense, or...? No, I just, I had already been working in restaurants, cooking, hosting, um, back waiting. You know, I'd, I'd already been doing all the things, and so I just wanted to continue working. Okay, yeah. so keep me going. <laughs> uh, so moved to New York in 2010, like you said. Uh, found a job as a pizza cook at, <laughs> at a co-company, uh, Jim Leahy's, you know, it Who's was Who's a legendary really, yeah. baking guy. yeah. And I actually wound up there because I was talking to a chef. Someone in Denver connected me with Doug Saltis, actually. Who's that? Um, He was a chef. He lives, uh, he's now based in Chicago um, and D.C. And he had, you know, I think he had quite a great career um, in New York, which he was kind of wrapping up his time in New York when I was just getting here. But someone connected me with him. He was the chef at a small restaurant down Um, where the Mermaid Inn is now on McDougal. It's called Smith's. And he he sat me down. He didn't have any room for me in his kitchen. Uh, So he sat me down and he said, I want you to think about 
restaurants and food in a different way. You know, you don't have to, if you want to be in this business, you don't have to just be a line cook or just, you know, be on that path to be a chef. There are so many ways you can engage with food. You can, you know, go apprentice with a butcher. You can learn about cheese. You can um, learn everything there is to know about bread. So that kind of opened up my mind and I started reading about um, Jim Leahy. And is that the first guy that sort of enlightened you about the industry? Like, took a little time to... There were a few very distinct, poignant conversations that I had uh, with a few different people, and that was one of them. Another one was this guy, Julian, who I had a phone call with. Again, someone knew I was moving to New York. I was just still a young pup, and they connected me with him, and he was like, okay... You have to know a few things. You need to read the New York Times Review every Wednesday. You need to pick up a New York magazine and, you know, read that food section. You need to, you know, what, I don't know, I don't... Right, um, just all the relevant high-profile stuff. Yeah, like, you're you're not in Boulder, you're not in Denver anymore. Right. good advice. Yeah, so... All right, so you're at Co. making pizza? Making pizza. Then what happens? Um, then I realized I want to get into the front of the house, um, be more guest facing and just learn a bit more about the business. So I started. Why? why? I mean, why didn't you, why I, wasn't it clear? Did you need to do everything to realize what you thought you'd like? Yeah. I mean, for me, my love is restaurants. So I've just always had this curiosity about the business and you know the energy the energy of restaurants is what compels me and motiva- motivates me um and so yeah i had spent about a year and a half ish in um in the kitchen at co and i was just ready to learn more about and meet more people in you but know, but in you New York. realize then front of the house not back or yeah. at least move and try it yeah okay yeah. and i i mean i love you know, I love the kitchen. I love food. That's kind of, I, I have a fascination with the palate. So it, you know, I, it begins and ends there for me. But I wanted, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know what was really in that moment making me want to move to the front. But I. So where I do you move? You move and move to the front where? I worked at this small restaurant on Allen Street, which closed maybe six years ago. Yeah, it was called Sorella. It was opened by two young women, um, and their focus was on the um, food and wine of Piedmont in northwestern Italy. Take it. And it was, you know, it was kind of cool and cutting edge for the time, I think. <coughs> um, you know, it was just Allen Street. There was nothing down there at that time. Now, you know, you have the Lower East Side with, you know, you have Contra and Wild Air and all these cool, funky restaurants that are so important and relevant, but... These two young women were doing a really cool thing down there at, at the time, and um, so I was happy to be there. I started as a back waiter um, <laughs> and then became a server and eventually was helping you know manage here and there. It was such a tiny restaurant that I just had some administrative duties. How long were you there? Off and on a couple of years. Um, All right, then yeah. obviously it's time to get out of a place like that. Where yeah. do you go? So then I went to Oto. Because that, that was really, I think my curiosity for wine really started to grow there. At, at Sorella at or Sorella. at Oto? At Sorella. Okay. So I was like, okay. So that's the point where wine yeah. became more of a higher topic to you? Yeah. And okay. I was, 
you know, I was serving and I was talking to people about food and I always kind of had a, I had an easy time talking about food because I've done it right. my whole life. My, you know, it's a, it's just it's a, a thing. It's a topic of conversation all the time. Um, and wine, I wasn't able to, you know, I wasn't able to talk with an informed perspective. Um, so I was like, okay, really, I want to learn about wine. And I, um, actually one of the former, I think she was a former wine director here of Roberta's. Amanda? Um, no, uh, Krista Boazen. Uh-huh. Um, she and I had worked together briefly at Sorella and then she took the wine director position at Oto. And so she knew I was curious about wine and invited me over there for a trail and, um, that was my first wine job. What kind wild. of food is o- was Oto or is Oto? It's pizza. My it is life, pizza? My life is, yeah. The pizza guy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you do that for how long? I was there for a year as well. Did they have some small curated wines? I mean, your exposure to some newer things they, were happening there? I mean, they had a great cellar. Um, you know, as part of the Batali <clears throat> Bastianich group, they were had a lot of buying power, and so... There was a lot of old Barolo, Barbaresco, a lot of old Tuscan See, it just hit me that it's Otto, not Oto. You called it... I know exactly what Otto is. I I thought Oto was like Japanese. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful location, and they were wine-centric, and it was pizza and all the other stuff. I I get it now. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's like a real place. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So... Does she shepherd you through some of the wine? I mean, you get some good knowledge dropped on you from her? Definitely. From her and also um, the team of sommeliers that was there at the time. You know, it was it was kind of a cool restaurant because it was so casual. And it was a restaurant. It opened, I think, within a few years of Babo. And it was the place that really allowed so many people access to what Batali and Bastianich right. were doing at the time. And, you know, they were getting so In much. A great neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but it was a wild place. I mean, we used to do 700, 1,000 covers on a Friday night. It was Popular. just an absolute machine. So it was a great place. Um, so we had Psalms on the floor, and we had... I was definitely the greenest when I when I joined. I did not know much about wine, um, but I just kind of... So I, I just pushed, 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 and really studied, and um, the Psalm team that was there at the time was so awesome. So I learned a lot from them. Then, we studied a lot, yeah. Why do you leave there? Um, I heard I was in a study group. Um, wine study group? Wine study group, yeah, studying for, you know, the intro. I think I was just doing my intro and then my certified through the court at that time. Um, and I was in a study group that met every Sunday at Gramercy Tavern. Um, we met in the back room before Gramercy Tavern opened, and we had... Uh, someone who was mentoring our group uh, and he knew that Marta was opening and so he suggested maybe I look into that as as a next move. So you take the job of Marta? Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say I take it. Jack Jack and I laughed because he was like, oh, I didn't know about you. Um, but he ended up offering me the position and then we, you know, we got along very well and are great friends today. But he was... Do you... What year are we talking that was 2014. 2014. Okay, yeah. so you're four years in the city now. You're yeah. at Marta. You're with Union Square. Yeah. Hospitality. So now, not that anyone previous to that wasn't real, but yeah. now you're with a real wine guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, before we talk about that, 
Are you studying for certification? I had already passed certified. So while I was at Oto, I was, again, you know, because I wanted to know what I was talking about. Right. Um, it was a great place to to have, you know, a first SOM job because it's casual, it's pizza, you know. Um, pizza. You know, they had a serious list, serious wine, but I was able to kind of work with a lot of those wines and I always had support on the floor. So if there was something I didn't know, I could, you know, call one of right. the other Psalms over. And then, um, but yeah, I was kind of aggressively studying at that time and then uh, passed certified before. Does that list open up more to anything you did? Like we know Jack loves champagne, which yeah. is unusual for Italian and pizza yeah. um, and other places. Did you start getting exposed yeah, just, I mean, exposed to all of the, it's all Italian, so everything was new. Everything was right. new there. So I distinctly remember opening some of these bottles for the first time, and some of these wines and producers are still some of my favorites. So, no um, kidding. Yeah. All right, so you stay at Marta with Jack for how long? I was there for a year. Um, I absolutely loved my experience there. I loved working for Union Square Hospitality Group at that time. Um, it was just a really exciting opening. I was so proud, you know, to be a part of it. And there was so much great energy. And I loved Nick's food. And So we mentioned Nick is the chef at Anton. Yes. To tie it, you go back with Nick to Marta around 2014. Yeah. And he's there the whole tenure that you're there, too. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was the you know, founding right. chef, partner of that restaurant. So uh, it was it was just so great to be a part of that. Um, and I left I left after a year and moved to Colorado. My Why? Li my life brought me to Colorado. That's a bold move. You're yeah. from Colorado, the Denver Boulder area. You went to, you're a buff. Um, don't get into it, but you had to go back for a reason, whether it was family or related. Family, yeah. Okay. So you go back to Boulder. Yeah. And, but something good happens, right? Yeah. I mean, the best, you know, I got to work for one of the, the best, most important, you know, restaurateurs in our country, I think. So, for sure. Not just Colorado. Yeah. And that is. And that's Bobby Stuckey. Who is still at Frosca. Frosca. And now his, you know, he's growing a little empire. empire. Tavernetta. Yeah, Tavernetta. The pizza place. Yep. Um, Sunday Vinyl, a new wine. Right. Um, just recently yeah, opened. wine bar. Um, so you go, just tell me how that comes about. You had to go back, so you sought it out? or Yeah, I, d I connected <clears throat> with Bobby, and I kind of knew, I knew Bobby just from, you know, the industry and from growing up in the area and staying connected. He, You know, I would serve him at various restaurants that I worked at in New York, and he was always so lovely and would, you know, acknowledge me, and we'd just you know chat a bit and so when I was headed back to Colorado I connected with him and said you know I I would love to trail and would love the opportunity to work with you and so did um, it happen right away yeah it happened when right you away. got there you you got right in there yes but um everyone starts as a polisher at Frosca so no exception for you no 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 even with a few years yeah. more than a few years in New York no which I think is it was very challenging, but you know I respect. What polishing glasses? Yeah, just you know, <laughs> you know, mentally, you yeah. know, you have to have some endurance, and 
and it was it was just generally a challenging time for me um, in my life, and so it was a it was a hard transition to make, you know, because I w- I had opened this restaurant in New York that I was so excited about, and um, how quickly do things move there? Not quickly because I, I mean you're polishing glasses for weeks and months. Months. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> months. Zaltos. Okay. Zalto glassware. Um, and then you move from polisher to food runner and then food runner to back server and then eventually to front server. And then eventually, I mean, he has, he has MS master sommelier candidates on his team, um, who are back servers, you know, because I mean, I think he's expanded now, so he has more places to put people. But at that time, it was just Frasca a couple of years ago. Yeah. It was still just Frasca and, of course, the pizzeria. Local. So how long are you there and what do you leave as? I left as a back server, front server, and I did a couple of cool... Um, he created a couple of cool moments for me to help with wine, like special wine dinners. I, I did a dinner with one of their chefs. Um, that featured the food of Alto Adige, food and wine mm. of Alto Adige. So Interesting, we did, yeah. yeah, we had a fun, you know, fun evening there in the private room. Uh, but yeah, I was doing mostly back server. But even though you're doing server, all that, yeah. do you are, what am I trying to say? Do they let those guys access tastings and yeah. they take time for education yes. yeah. when they do pre-week or pre-night prep you're part of that and yeah it's really like you can you can take it as far as as you want to take right. it and they they give everyone that freedom and you know they empower people to learn there that's you know that's what they do best i think and that's what's created such a strong community um, and strong network for them. So, so it, it seems like for some reason you have to go to Boulder and for another reason it could be time to leave because <laughs> it wouldn't be the worst thing to maybe become a sommelier at yeah. uh, Frasca, but it sounds like, you know, maybe there was an opportunity yeah. for different reasons to get out. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, for me, I my heart was broken for New York and I, you know, this is... This is a place that just makes me feel so right and so happy. And so what happens? You leave Frasca to come to New York? Yeah. To where? Um, to Loring Place. So okay. to open Loring Place. So that was another, you know. So you were there at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. When I, Dan left ABC and he got the spot on 8th Street and all that. Yeah. You. Yeah, so I, you know, most of his opening management team was ABC Alum. He brought over. Yeah. What was your connection? That you Zero. know, that's that's a good gig. So how do you wind up as the opening aggressive. crew? <laughs> so it was on you. I was very. Aggressive. You must yeah. have been convincing. Yeah. Because you're no slouch. Dan's no slouch. His project was you know well documented and heralded. Yeah. Um, I guess you won him over. Yeah, I, I I worked hard just to you know communicate that. I was the person for this. I, I mean, I was so nervous. I had never written the list. I had never been a buyer or an assistant buyer or anything, but I just knew I wanted it so badly that I I knew I was the one just because so of that. that. That's so. like the greatest thing. <laughs> now, a lot of people say, you know, I'll get in there and I'll figure it out. Yeah. Most people figure it out. Some don't. I yeah. mean, I'm sure it was challenging, but were you able? Yeah. 
to, you know, set it up the way you wanted, he wanted, yeah, compatible I, with the vision? Yeah, I really was. And he was, he really kind of gave me free reign. I mean, it was ideal, you know, because I, he, he let me, he trusted me. And, um, Is Dan a good guy? Good guy. Very Seems good like guy. a good guy. I got a message from him today, actually. After, well, yeah. we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you recently left Loring. How long were you there? I was there for about two and a half years. Wow, look at you staying at a place for more than a <laughs> no, year, I right? Know. Jesus. I know, I really do that like wasn't, to stay places. That wasn't pizza, <laughs> you know? I know. Um, all right, so, you know, the Loring thing seems pretty good. Why do you leave? Um, hmm. Well, I Nick and I had started to talk about opening a restaurant together you know it was kind of it's been a conversation for a long time ongoing ongoing yeah you know just right. more casual it didn't happen yeah it's been something you've both dreamed about yeah. with each other well or you him and maybe yeah. Okay. yeah and then it kind of came together and um and so <clears throat> yeah left ultimately to open this restaurant anton's was that was that uh What's the word I'm looking for? Shock or a difficult thing at Loring to walk in and say, "Yes, I'm out of here." Yeah, it was. Loring meant so much to me. I used to get so emotional at you know during big moments. It really because of you know what it meant for my life and the way in which I I went after the job and you know it it really that restaurant meant a lot to me still does and right. so yes telling sitting, I mean you left for all down. the right reasons yeah not because um the owner was an asshole or no. the environment sucked or it wasn't a successful place it was all the quite quite the opposite unlike some of the people you worked with very early on <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. um all right so you talk about you know a relationship with Nick um, you're at Loring Place, you know, over a couple of years. You're working with a great guy. How does everything come together? Like, when does discussion become, you know, reality? When do you meet to look at spaces or talk to investors or whatever you do? Yeah. Um, well, actually, Nick and I are partners in life and business. So, it's, oh, I didn't know so, that. Yeah. So, I mean, how long? Um, a couple of years. God damn it. How come I didn't pick up on that? <laughs> it's only a couple of years? Yeah. Pretty so, good how the press doesn't... Have you read where it alludes to that anywhere? No, it doesn't. I haven't either. You yeah. know, I'm a pretty good researcher. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I get it now, and it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So it's like you guys want your own place. Yeah, and and I mean... We want our own. We we really just wanted to work together because we respect each other as professionals, and um, and I think our relationship, you know, secondarily makes it a strong place. Or we we, you know, because we just truly live and breathe it. Right. Um, and you so, do it together. Yeah. And we know each other. We know what the other wants, what the other's expectations are, and so. Um, so answer my question yeah you threw me a curveball which is a great curveball but where's that moment where you know the two of you are like you're holding hands walking through the door going you know this is it how does that come about who sets that up you know what well nick had you know so he left union square hospitality group last march and he's another story he's a very busy guy and all that 
Well, at that time, he started talking to a bunch of chefs and restaurateurs, um, you know, independent restaurateurs who, whom he respects and admires, and you know, just saying, "Hey, this is this is a pivot moment for me." Um, you know, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Do you have advice? I'd love to hear about your experience, whatever it may be. And so in that series of conversations, he um, ended up meeting with the Franks. And they were, that's, that's when that... That's Frank Fascinelli and Frank Castronovo yeah. from Frankie's yeah. in Brooklyn, F&F Pizza. Yeah. And... Um, Did he know them before? Just yeah. Through the year? Yeah, through... The, the industry. So he meets with the idea of maybe keying in with these guys. About no, just like wanting, again, their advice okay. because they've kind of, you know, they were classically trained, but they went out on their own so successfully. You know, they're they're just like these beloved New York restaurateurs. So he wanted to say, you know, hey, how's it going? How'd you do it? What do you know? What have you learned? And they were intrigued by him and um and they said, you know, we have our space in the West Village that we're maybe wanting to move away from. And so let's have that conversation. So Nick was really... They take- were willing to have that conversation with Nick in mind. Yeah, yeah. Nick went in not knowing that, but certainly when that was thrown on the table, yeah. eyes opened wide. Yeah, he was like, I mean, didn't think that we'd be situating ourselves in, you know, a landmarked corner in the West right. Village. It's just it's like ideal. It's becoming impossible. When when was that? When was that meeting with? How long? I would say that was probably late last spring. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking a little less than a year ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Quick. And then, I mean, we didn't get access to the space until September thirtieth of this past this year. This past year, and then just for the record, when did you open? November eleventh. Okay. So <laughs> she's <laughs> yeah. Wait. So, so I'm jumping ahead, but from September to November, you redo the whole place for opening and all that. Yeah. I mean, that's about as nutty and frenetic as it can get, right? It was wild. It was. Truly, so go back. So yeah. the Franks and Nick decide this could work, and um, those guys say the space is yours. I mean, yeah, w- there was much negotiation that went on there, but... Um, Simplistic. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, Are well, they involved, the Franks? Yes, they remain silent business partners. Okay. Yeah. Did they have their hand in concept or anything, or everything went to you guys? Yeah. Okay. Not, not involved in the concept at all. Okay. I think they were really excited um, about, about... where you wanted to go. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't sound dissimilar to... To the Franks that closed for the wine bar. Yeah. You know, kind of a throwback, and we'll talk about that in a middle. All right, so less than a year ago, the project kind of hits the wall. You have a few months to open it up. Um, we'll talk about the restaurant and the wine program in a minute. Um, I just want to talk to you a little about, you know, New York restaurants, the market, before we, like I said, key in on that. Yeah. So... This kind of marks a decade that you've been in the market. You know, you left for Boulder and all that. Yeah. Um, do you see any major changes in the market? I mean, do you look back and go, holy crap? Or is it the same? I mean, I think restaurants <clears throat> have changed a lot. I th- How? I think that, um, 
I don't know. There's a shift. There's a shift to the smaller. There was a momentary shift to smaller restaurants, right? Like with what I mentioned before, Contra. And while there's some like really cool little. Even like a Frenchette's not that yeah. big. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Casual. Casual. But in the last couple of years, of course, we've seen the, um, you know, the, the big restaurant, big restaurateur names, you know, restaurants in hotels, restaurants in shopping malls. Um, so I think that that shift is definitely new and wild for New York to see, you know, diners going to dinner at a shopping mall. I mean, that reminds me of the restaurants, some of the restaurants that I went to as a kid in Denver, right. you know, the fancy restaurants that were on the corner, corner edges of, you know, Cherry Creek Mall. I think the good news is that a lot of hotels and malls and all of that just either brought chains or crap people in. You know, now they yeah. realize to partner up with an established chef or a guy with a good concept makes it a better place. Yeah. Um, so we definitely think things have gone casual, but they're still small and big. Do you think... The audience has changed. Are millennials driving the market, or? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, when you guys open a restaurant, who did you think the core clientele would be? Well, we wanted to open a restaurant that for for the neighborhood. So, um, we both love New York. I've told you a bit about how I love it. Nick grew up here. Um, he loves it, and we want. We want neighborhoods, little neighborhoods to survive and little neighborhood shops, restaurants, you know, retail, um, you know, the, the landscape the, of, a, of a corner of a stretch of a street. We want those. That's the really, demo runs the gamut yeah. in a neighborhood like that. Yeah. Young hipsters, old people that have been there, you know, longer. Yeah. So you sort of have to service everybody. Um, you know, I, I, we were talking about this off air. There's not a lot of ton of women that are running restaurants, certainly not opening them um, and running them, and even in wine service, although New York's done a better job than some other markets, um, it's sort of disproportionate. Do you think this still takes place in New York when you look around, or are you too distracted to realize? <laughs> I mean... I, we have some strong female restaurateur neighbors. You know, we have Rita and Jody around the corner from us who are absolutely killing the it. Best. It's incredible what they do. We we just walk by their restaurant sometimes just to see like the the mob scene, um, and and we enjoy their restaurants. Well, it's not I, like you're empty. No, no, not at, at all. all. Yeah. No, but they're but they've been you know, doing it for a while. To yeah. study there, you know, yeah. to see what their good formula example. is. Yeah, they're super impressive. So I, I think there are some great examples. You know, Missy Robbins, of course. Um, so things are changing for the better. I think New yeah. York, like I said, is a good um, representation of that because yeah. you just named top of the game. Yeah. I mean, Missy Robbins, um, Rita and Jody are, you know, as, as good as it, as it can get. Yeah. And out, outside of restaurants, you know, bars as well. You have Ivy Mix and... You have that the head bartender yeah. right now at Death and Co is that's a woman, not a, and yeah. that's not an issue. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's it's an issue, but right. What about was being a woman is being a woman opening a restaurant? Any issues with that? 
I mean, for all the discussions there are about the industry and women, do you ever feel that as, you know, being the lead person? I mean, I think I think I have to say yes to that. You know, I think it's there, but I try not to focus on it. It's just right. if someone's you not going to, that. if some, yeah, I, I take control of it. If someone's not willing to engage or not willing to listen because I'm a woman, then I'm gonna have to sidestep around that person and fi- you know find a way. It's just right. it's unacceptable, and it's and I don't want that conversation. I know it's important. We have to talk about it, but. I think we can exhaust it as well. And, you know, let's just yeah. commit to. I mean, I had a discussion with my last guest. We were talking about diversity and he yelled at me because he said, all we're doing is talking about it. And I'm like, all right, you know, so, you know, what are things that we could do and all that? Um, you know, my job is just to to somewhat, you know, point it out or yeah. um, talk to people about experience and, you know, their take on it and all of that. Because you're sort of in the thick of it. Yeah. You know, you came through New York as a, a woman wine person, and now you're running a place. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about, you know, how the whole Anton's thing came together, you know, next level. We talked about it a little. But you had a major hand in uh, putting it together, Um and then all the elements of what makes, you know, a buzzy restaurant, you know, buzzy and all that. So we're talking to Natalie Johnson. Natalie is the general manager and beverage director at Anton's. Anton's is a new restaurant in New York City that sort of exemplifies what New York can do. Great wine people, great chef, great vibe. Um, all of that. So when we come back, we'll talk more about the restaurant. We'll talk more about uh, the wine program and a few other things. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit, a go-to shop for anyone interested in natural wines and boutique spirits. There's a large selection of everything from orange wines, pet gnats, and reds from around the world. Whether visiting the shop in person or online, looking for a gift for a loved one, or that everyday dependable bottle, you're sure to find lots of interesting wines at Henry's. There's free shipping on orders over $300 on the website henrys.nyc and case discounts when you visit the store located in Bushwick. Cheers. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Natalie, Natalie Johnson, GM and Bev Director of Anton's in New York City. All right, Natalie, let's get into the restaurant and the wine program a little. Um, You had your hand in all aspects of opening the restaurant. Things are a little more clear to me now, understanding what's going on with Nick and how everything's set up and all of that. And I realize you had a very short period to open the restaurant. So... 
The cool question is, you never really, at Loring Place, you had a little hand in it. Yeah. But you never really opened a restaurant in your career to the extent that you did here. Yeah. Um, the obvious thing seems to me that the time thing was crazy. You had no time. So just don't spend a ton of time. But what are all the elements? It's literally ordering glasses and food and pay. Tell yeah. me what that's like. <coughs> well, getting... I mean, yeah, it's everything. Let me let me make sense of it. It was such a whirlwind. Um, we obviously were working on the concept, you know, just on paper and, and sculpting the idea and the feel of Anton's far before we actually got access to the space. All right, so let's key in on that a little. Yeah. Let's talk about the concept. Yeah. Because you walk in there, you look at the menu, you look at the place, there's a vibe there. Yeah. What, what What is the concept? Um, we have called it a nostalgic New York cafe and wine bar, and it's very much inspired by late 1800s, kind of turn of that century. 1800 New York restaurants or dining, dining. or both? Yeah, okay. there was kind of this dining revolution that was happening in New York from what we you know, can see and understand where you know, before that time, New York was really just all these neighborhoods, little pockets of neighborhoods, um, you know, where you would go if you weren't cooking at home, you'd go to a neighborhood tavern or bar and have, you know, one of a few dishes maybe that were being served um, that day. But kind of mid to late 1800s, there was a real dining revolution um, in New York that was happening when a lot of Europeans were bringing the more now modern concept of were you uh, looking dining. at menus from that era? Yeah, yeah. There's an amazing archive um, online on the New York Public Library, this old archive of menus going back to, I think you can find stuff back so to you, the 1700s. you it's, guys poured over it for yeah. suggestions and dishes? Yeah, it's just so fun. They're so visually beautiful, too. It's, it's yeah. scanned copies of like these beautifully ornate menus that have all these, you know, just now exotic-sounding things. Um, we also have the Epicurean, which is the Charles Ranhofer, was one of the famous chefs of Delmonico's. Um, and so we've, you know, poured over the pages of that so book. So what do you decide? It's going to be a large menu, a curated menu? You know, there's so many dishes and you're looking at such a era. Yeah, we wanted it. We knew that we wanted it to evoke an old world feel. You know, it, it definitely has... This old world feel. There's some distinct European influence. Give in the me. Food. Let's tick off some dishes across the board, like appetizers and main dishes that are good examples of executing that vision. Well, um, the first section on the menu is called Bar Bites and Relishes. Relishes. <laughs> you know, we love the language of these old menus as well. Relishes was a section we saw on a lot of these menus that was little, like snacky bites, little kind of savory things to you know activate like. your palate so we have um we have hudson rarebit we call it hudson rarebit which is of our location but cheese and cheesy bread yeah, yeah yeah yeah. it's a classic it's not english, rabbit english pub snack no right, rabbit right, right. there um that's old school and some of these menus would have entire rarebit sections you know rarebits with different toppings, different stuff ham, in it yeah anchovies yeah. uh so that's <laughs> definitely something not to miss what about main dishes main dishes are straight 
forward, really kind of comfort foods that are, um, you know, just is comfort food synonymous with that era or not necessarily? Well, no. there were things like lobster Newberg in those days. Yeah, exactly. Fancy schmancy stuff. We have, I mean, I think what makes Nick's food so great is just how honest it is. It's just, you know, he has, his palate's incredible, um, but his food is just honest. He wants it to be hot on the plate. You know, it want, there's an immediacy hot temperature? To it. Yeah, I mean, there's an immediacy to it. It's not over-plated or you know, over-analyzed. Isn't this somewhat of a departure from what he was doing every day for years? Not really. I mean, if no. you think about what he was doing, he was cooking Roman Roman food, which is okay. a really kind of, it is a Within humble, that yeah. category, he stayed true to that. Yeah. Um, so when you, so you, you know, you, you came with the wine background. Nick uh, has the back room, but he has an eye for the front of the room. You're doing the front GM and beverage. Did you sit down with Nick, obviously, and say, okay, this is our menu? We talked a lot about the menu what, together, yeah. What kind, where does the wine list go? Let's talk about the wine list now. The wine list is, you know, represents classic European regions. So there's definitely a focus on Italy, France, um, Germany, Austria, Spain, and then American wine as well. Where is the bulk or the strength? A lot of Italians. A lot of Italian, which represents your background and love and all that. Yeah, I just, I just love Italian wine. There's a, you know, there's a friendliness to Italian wine that just comforts me and And, and excites me. Diversity, an incredible diversity. It's just, it's really an enticing. Let's talk about the list. How big is it? And was it? difficult to curate a list how big is it it's about well in-house we have about 600 selections um on the list right now i'd say probably 500 okay bottle uh unique selections um and we had a unique opportunity because we so the frankie's last service was september 29th um, as Frankie's 570, we got in there the morning of September 30th wow. and basically, you know, <clears throat> walked into a, a restaurant. So uh, we cleaned it out, and but we were, had a lot to work with, right? So we had a lot of, um, you know, the china, glass, and silver we're still working with, the chairs and a, so a lot that of the tables. And, fit the vision. Yeah. and um, It wasn't dissimilar to what you wanted to do. No. It, yeah. was, it was kind of perfect. But So I did acquire some of John Patterson's wine inventory as well. So that was nice. I mean, opening a restaurant, starting a business. Wait, so when you took it over, they had their wine list. He sat with John and said, we'll keep this, we'll keep that, or what he was willing to give you? I didn't, no, we didn't have that sit down. That would have been nice. I would have. <laughs> Should have called me. Um, no, but there, you know, there was some wine that we were walking into. We were walking into an existing cellar, so right. um, a lot of Italian wine there. Uh, but outside of that, you know, there was a, there's a lot that we've brought in. Um, so you brought in everything we discussed. Anything sort of interesting or different? You know, is there something, if you look on the list, maybe a trademark of yours or something? I mean, anything cool? Yeah, I mean, I love um, I love wines from Sicily, Corsica, um, these kind of funky regions that are have 
great history and tradition, um, but where you can find really incredible value. So while we're on that, I always like to drop some knowledge on our listeners. So let's not spend too much time on it. But Sicily, let's talk about some varietals, some regions, and some specific makers. Okay. You know, and I think you talked about, you know, value and all that, which I think the area kind of, you know, is known for. Yeah. Give me a couple of good Sicilian wines. Uh, well, I mean, you have Marsala on, you know, the western coast. Of Marsala wine? Marsala like wine. Like chicken Marsala wine? Well, that's Drink it thing. straight up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of my favorite producers, Marco de Bartoli, um, makes some really beautiful, incredible Marsala. Is it a sweet wine or a dry wine or somewhere in between? Sweet. Okay. He, he does, um, he makes dry wine, he makes uh, dry still whites, he makes sparklings in the champagne method, uh, but he also makes, you know, sweet fortified Marsalas. You, you answered the question perfectly because yeah. I asked for something interesting. And yeah. Marsala is certainly, what about more traditional, uh, the volcanic wines of Sicily? Yeah. What Etna. what grape what Etna? We're drinking right now. I love this which one. Which we'll talk about. Yeah. But the grape is Nero. Nerello Mascalese. Right. Um, um, give me a good maker or two. Um, Benanti. Great uh, guys. Ayunta. Okay. Paso Picharo. Good ones. Um, you mentioned Corsica, which everyone thinks is Italian, but it's French. But. Yep. Tell me something besides Abitucci that's good there. <laughs> Abitucci, um, Maestracci, um, Sebastian Poli at Stiluccionu. Use Stiluccionu. What, um, I asked people to spell it, but that may be too hard. Spell it. S-T-I-L. Uh, no, I always get lost. I'll, I look I'll, it up every time. I post, you know, our wine list and what we're drinking and any good recos. Um, what grape or grapes are prominent in Corsica? Chacarello. Right. Yeah, that's um, uh, what the uh, Stia Luciano that I love is their entry level, the Antica Chacarello. Right. Which is just like really kind of has this core of red fruit and it's crunchy. And, you know, you find a lot of volcanic soil around Corsica as well. Yeah. Those are wines people should be trying and tasting. Yeah. And they're not inaccessible or expensive no, no. Um, so I will post all of that you you have a decent size by the glass program um, why is that something you've always done something you wanted to do yeah I, I know why a by the glass program is a great thing as a wine consumer tell me why you wanted to do that with over like 20 selections or something yeah um, well it's your access point to the wine program. It's the way that I think you can send the message most clearly that, you know, everyone is welcome to drink wine here. You know, you have to have an enticing by the glass program because um, not everyone wants to open a bottle. Not everyone can afford a bottle. Maybe tonight, you know, you just want a half glass of wine. We have that for you. We want everyone to feel comfortable and welcomed into the wine program and the by the glass list is the best way to do that does that give you a chance to commit to wines that you don't have to buy cases of or you know you could bring in some funky wines or you can move stuff in and out to see how people are reacting i mean yeah the the internal science of it all 
besides giving, you know, everyone, is that why a buy the glass program's fun for you? Yeah, I mean, your buy the glass program also needs to make you money. It allows you the ability to do other interesting things with your list, create pockets of value elsewhere. So you do need it to work for you, but um, you can find. It's Is that a profitable part of the list? Buy the glass. Yeah, that's a good spot yeah. and all that. Yeah, but you should still be offering, which is why I think a lot of, you know, restaurants don't have great buy the glass programs because they're just trying to buy the cheapest wines. Well, that's what people perceive. Yeah, the glass, the BTG is the crap stuff. Yeah, you know, if you go into a good place with a good wine person, you know they're bringing in some cool stuff. Yeah, and you have access to stuff, you know, that most people don't have. How important is well, before before I ask that question, you also have a passion for mixed drinks and beer and all of that, and there's a good representation of it. I read something. I don't even know what the hell this is. What's a cold-batched martini? Oh, yeah, our icebox martini. What, what are we talking here? So it's a we, we pre-stir the martini, our house martini, which is a beef eater gin martini, which is how I like Traditional to drink it. Traditional, yeah. fits the theme yeah. and all that. Um, so we pre-stir it. With Wait, what's a tradition? So beef eater, a little vermouth? Yep, a little Dolan dry vermouth and just a touch of water. Um, really? Yeah. Okay. Because if you can imagine, you know, stirring a proper martini, you're getting just a little bit of dilution from the ice. And so. then dealer's choice, if the guy wants an olive or a lemon rind, or yeah. you, is there a way you serve it? Me, pers- there's a way that I like to drink it, which is with a twist and an olive. Okay. Yeah. Going crazy on me here. <laughs> um, all right. So there's a mixed spirits program there. There's some interesting stuff thematic to the whole place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the type of boozes and drinks and throwback stuff. Yeah. It's really, it's based on classic cocktails. <clears throat> you know, we're not trying to do very, which is very different from what I was doing at right. Loring Place. Right. Um, Same thing. You looked at some old cocktail menus and stuff. For Loring Place? No, for oh. Uh, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, to see what was the thing then and all that. Yeah. Very cool. What about the beers? Beers are, again, I think, you know, fit what we're trying to do really well. Kind of classic styles. Um, nothing too crazy. We're not, like, featuring five IPAs. Um, What's, like, a core foundation beer there? Guinness. No really? One, everyone needs to start coming Okay, I, listen, you're talking to a Guinness guy. Yeah. I love Guinness. Um, so stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you how important the wine and drinks program to a restaurant like that is. I mean, it's... Two ways. Yeah. As far as reflecting what you want to do and the bottom line for business. Yeah, beverage is important for, for this business, restaurants, you know. Um, it... It's how we make money, but we have a responsibility to, you know, mark things up appropriately and not take people for their money. And and we're always wanting to do that. So we want a beverage program that is healthy, healthy for the business, but um, one that, like I said, allows people to have bottles of wine, glasses of wine. We want wine on every table. But one of the nice things is there's... um, you specialize in, you know, valuable pricing, value yeah. pricing. Yeah. You know, a lot of the bottles, 50, 70, 100. We have good levels of 
or, or access at every level. So I want people to be able to drink Burgundy, you know, right. a great Bourgogne Rouge. You curate all that stuff. under, you know, $90, under $80. Cool. All right. That's Anton's. I suggest that you get over there, get on the website, look at the menu and all that. I can't let you leave without doing our wine list. Five questions. We ask everybody the same thing. Don't dwell on these. We don't have a ton of time. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? Not this second, but what's in the fridge? Switching seasons. What's interesting you? I love drinking Italian white wines. Okay. Give me regions or wines. Uh... Ligurian Vermentino. Okay, I love, love that. It. Go back to it. Give all me the a time. maker or two. Uh, Bison. B i s o n. B i s s o n. Okay, yeah. give me one more. Um, oh gosh, why can't I? That's all right. Yeah. That's all right. Um, what else? Give me one other thing you're drinking now. Champagne. <laughs> all right. Do I you, crave it. Do you focus on any producer because they're reasonable? Or, I mean, we all love Salas or whatever, yeah. but what are you drinking? Um, Marc Ebrar, I always love from right. Valley de la Marne. H-E-B-R-A-R-T? Um, yes, H-E-B-R-A-R-T. All right, good on that. Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Not something you eat every night, or but when you do it, or like if Nick makes something, you go, you know, it's perfect with this chicken. Well, we peanut. are always like, ooh, try this with that, try this with that. It's What's fun. making sense lately? Um, there's a Szechuan restaurant on Third Avenue and Twenty Fifth that has the most delicious uh, dry hot pepper chicken. Mm. Um, you know just covered in chilies, Szechuan peppercorns, which is obviously a really difficult thing to pair with. And so, so what I've goes had this with that? dish many times. Um, I have found that like a very juicy Beaujolais goes very well with that. Give me a juicy Beaujolais you like. Is it a Morgon? I do love the wines of Morgon. Yeah, La Pierre, bottle but, of La Pierre Morgon. Yeah. A La Pierre Morgon would go well with that dish. It would. So spicy Szechuan with peppers all over the place and a Juicy Boja. I'm liking that. Okay. Do you have, I know you've been crazy for a while, and you may not even get out, but if you do, or favorite wine restaurant or bar, who's doing it well? Who's doing what you're doing? Great vibe, great list, curated, good knowledge. Where else can you walk into and feel that? Um, I do enjoy Four Horsemen whenever I get to in Brooklyn. get out to Brooklyn. Um, I like to visit my buddy Brandon at Charlie Bird. Uh-huh. Runs Charlie, the Charlie Bird's a show Bird favorite. Give me one more. Um, I like to go uptown to Nice Matin. Uh, what's his name? Aviram. Uh, Aviram. He yeah, just got married. I like to eat French fries and drink yeah. white burgundy there. <laughs> or champagne or yeah. Chablis or whatever. Yeah. All it's right. a great great list the question is favorite all-time wine it's morphed into what's a wine that is important to you um or is a favorite um i love i you know we've talked a lot about italian wines it like i said it's my love i love the wines of piedmont i think they are are we talking barolo or barbaresco okay Lange and stuff like that? Yeah, I just think Nebbiolo is the most exotic, enticing So it's varietal. easy to talk about all the famous big guys, yeah. you know, Mascarello. What's a good accessible Barolo? A Not good. too expensive. You, know, you could find it in a better store. 
I think the lines from Brezza are really great. Oh, B R E Z Z A. B R E Z Z A. Okay, that's a region or one of the sections. That's a producer. Pro- oh, Brezza is the Brezza producer. Is the okay, producer, yeah, and he's good value producer. Yeah. Okay, give me one more. Can you think of one more? Yeah. Um, Serafina Rivella from Barresco. Okay. Really, really elegant wine. That's the maker, Serafina Rivella. Rivella. Never heard of it. I'm going to post all that, like I said. Last question. Best wine around 15 bucks, 15 to 20. Give me a red and a white. My kids can't afford to look like idiots and bring nine, ten dollar crappy bottles, and they don't have the money for forty. So, how do you impress fifteen, twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three? What do you, you can give me a category like white muscadet? You can give me makers. Yeah, um, I think Canary Islands is a great place to look right now um, for both white and red. I, I, it's really exciting. And wine. they're in that twenty buck range and yeah, all of that. They are, you know, really. Give me valuable. a producer. I mean, does Envenate make wines in that range? Yeah. Or the, um, who? I think th- those wines tend to be just a little, little bit more. over. So um, who are you Los thinking? Los Bermejos uh, makes white, rosé, and red. Uh, Fronton de Oro is another producer. Spell that for me. F-R-O-N-T-O-N. Day, okay. I'll, I'll figure it all out. Yeah. Those are good ones. Canary Islands. All right. So good job. <laughs> Quick, concise interesting um kudos to you on that all right natalie we got to wrap up the show but before we wrap up the show it's always fun to ask my guests to raid the cellar with something that's accessible reasonable and good and cool so you brought in a 2017 um sicilian wine yeah quickly tell me what it is at Neroso, I, I can't get away from Italy, from Sicily. So this is um, mostly Norello Mascalese with a little Norello Cappuccio uh, from a newer producer, Ayunta. Oh, sorry. That's I need right. to pour you more bad psalm. That's right. I'm um, off mic because I'm drinking. <laughs> wait, wait. So what was the second grape? Norello Cappuccio. Cappuccio. Yeah. All right. Um, and the producer is? Ayunta. Yeah. A-Y-U-N-T-A. Yeah. Um. Young, Never heard of them. Young gentleman. His family was based um, in southern Sicily, uh, and then he, they kind of st- got out of the wine business, and then he wanted to get back into it. He actually worked as a psalm, I think. I don't know where, but, um, and decided he wanted to start, you know, the family tradition again. So he bought some old vines um, on Etna. Is he making limited production? Yeah, it's pretty small production. He makes a couple of whites, a couple of reds, and I think the What are his uh, vineyard and cellar practices? Is he pretty s- sustainable? Yeah, he says it's all about the wine, um, a little bit of aged, just adds a little bit of sulfites. Okay. Well, a little sulfur. A little sulfur, yeah. We're not zero sulfur all the time. All right, let's do a quick evaluation. Color, is that typical for this wine or is it a little lighter um i would say this is pretty typical yeah these wines have really beautiful um kind of brightness yeah. and clarity um and just that really beautiful the clarity sort is of ruby you know it is fruit. a be- yeah, yeah. How, let's do nose now give me your nose descriptors let's get that schnoz in there. <laughs> um so aromatically lifted like just kind of bursting from the glass really lovely red fruits like juicy kind of um, almost candied red fruit, mm-hmm. but like 
little um, floral as well. A little floral. Red rosy. Um, what about the mouthfeel? Let's throw it over the tongue and talk about mouthfeel and the palate. Like a medium? Medium body. This is why I love these wines. There's just this incredible, refreshing acidity, but... You know, uh, Norello Mescalese has tan and there's structure in yeah. his body, there's ripeness, but also just lovely freshness. So these wines can really, you know, be applied to so many dining moments. Good food mine. Good wine. Good food I wine. I should get it in yeah. my mouth next yeah. time. <laughs> All right. Um, palette. Does the palette reflect a bunch of the nose descriptors or are we picking other stuff up on it? Yeah, it's, it's fruit and it's mineral, yeah. The minerality on Etna comes through. Yeah, you because have all it's this volcanic, volcanic soil. soil. And you have soil that's kind of changing all the time because of the active nature right. of Etna. Um, so, yeah, a lot of just really beautiful kind of soft tannin mineral texture. I know that's a, you know, that's a tricky word to use. Right. But what do like we pair this with? You know, we talked about the tannins and all. It's a good food wine. What yeah. are the classic pairs? Um, I mean... You know, pizza, pizza, tomato. Um, red, red sauce type stuff and all that? Yeah. So this is a good pizza wine. I think, yeah, I think What some, do you think the retail on this bottle is? Ballpark. Not ex- probably right around <clears throat> 30 okay. retail. Okay. Yeah. So that's the 2017 25. Ayunta. What does it say under Ayunta? Navigabile. That's Navigabile. Just the, the I will. Uh, I will post all of that. Thank you for bringing in the cool wine. Yeah, I mean, I I've had a bunch of Sicilian wines, but this is great. Natalie, I'm sad to say we have to wrap up and I have to let you go. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook, at The Grape Nation, on Instagram, at SBenRuby, on Twitter, at BenRuby. I know, confusing. But you can always use the hashtag, The Grape Nation, on both. As I mentioned, we'll post Natalie's wine list answers. I'll spell everything out. I'll clarify everything. Probably have to call you a couple times. Um, And I will post our weekly wine sip, which is a delicious, fun wine that's worth seeking out. Is this, can you find this out there? Not easy. I, you know, I've been so at the restaurant. I don't know if this I'll, is I'll, up I'll in shops. Look. It is newer to. I'll establish whether yeah. it's approachable or but not. But you can find it at Anton's. So, right, that's the other thing. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, Natalie, if we want to follow you and Anton's on social media, where do we go? Um, Anton's is at Anton's NYC, See? and I am. Fat Nat. I couldn't find you. Drinks wine underscore eats pizza. All right. So from here on in, it's... Wait. Give that to me again? Fat Fat Nat. Fat Nat. Underscore? Uh, No. Fat Nat drinks wine underscore eats pizza. Jesus Christ. Find me should throw you out of here right now with that. (laughs) It's a good thing your email isn't like that. I'd I'd email you once and tell you goodbye, you know? Um, All right. Thank you to our guest, Natalie Johnson. Natalie is uh, overseeing... Um, a very hot new restaurant um, that's been reviewed this week by the New York Times and generally gave it a pretty good review. How do we feel about it? 
We are mildly disappointed by the review, but, um, you know, ready to move forward and take what it said and be better every day. I think Um, it's better than what the Times said. Yeah. Um, Listen, you got one more star than Peter Luger. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, all right, Natalie, thanks for coming in, especially in the midst of everything that's going on. I was waiting for a text or a phone call. That's like, I can't, you know, so I love you for coming in and thank you for that. Um, Thank you to our engineer, uh, Amanda, and everyone at The Grape Nation. I'm Sam Ben Rubin. You've been listening to The Grape Nation. Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.